Welcome to WeAreTechnology.com's User-Friendly 2.0 with host Bill Sickens, Technology Architect. And this is User-Friendly 2.0. Got a great show for you this week. Jeremy and Gretchen, welcome to the show. Hello. Hi there. So we've got a lot of stuff to talk about. Steve Mailer is also going to be joining us later in the show with an interview. So got a lot of good stuff for you coming up. We need your questions. We need them to set up content. We answer what you send us, and that's how we program our show. And the way that you send that in to us is very simple. You can give us a call, 503-766-6264. That phone is monitored 24 hours a day, seven days a week. You can also get a hold of us on social media, one user-friendly on Facebook, one user-friendly on Twitter. The other way to do it is to go to our website, userfriendlynation.com. A lot of information out there. You can sign up for updates, and you can also send us story ideas and your questions, and we will use them on the air. The soothing fragrance of lavender is a proven natural relaxer. It helps calm nerves, and it helps people sleep. Today's sponsor, Carriage House Lavender, has products that can relieve stress. Visit them at www.carriagehouselavender.com. So what's in the news? Keurig and Spotify launch Smart Musical Coffee Maker. Yeah, and this headline's not a joke. It's actually something that they're <laughs> looking at really doing. Um, uh-huh. when I, I actually first... thought about singing it, but then I thought that might scare people. Well, you never know. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> So it's basically what it says. Keurig and Spotify have teamed up. Keurig is coming out with their next generation of coffee makers, and I think in some ways it's looking for some new products to have here. So what they have is built in a music player that plays Spotify. And they've put together playlists that are based on the coffee pod you put in. So if you're cooking a dark roast, it would have one set of songs. If you're doing a light roast, it would have another, that kind of an idea. And the idea from Keurig is that your experience when drinking coffee isn't just taste. It's smell, it's also sound in your environment, all that kind of stuff. And that is a science that's backed up. If you look at companies like Starbucks, there's jazz music and specific things in their restaurants and all of that. And there's a reason behind all of this. And it's the science behind increasing the idea of what you would buy. In this case, Keurig wants to increase your experience drinking coffee. So Hmm. we'll see how this actually works out. I uh, don't know if I would use this feature or not, but I don't know. Maybe it is something that people would enjoy. And if so, then more power to them. Hmm. Microsoft Exchange attacked by Hafnium. Microsoft Exchange is a software that Microsoft has made for many years. I was working with it and supporting it back in the late 90s. It's, of course, a much newer version now, but it's been out there for a while. And what it does is it handles email, schedule lists, and a number of other things on a network. It's something that's designed for a business or a network environment that has... So it's like on a server. It would run on a server, yeah. And within the Exchange information store is all of your emails on that network, your calendar, and a lot of other things. The front end of this is a program called Outlook that many of us have used. They're moving like everybody else to web-based applications now, but that's where this comes from. And they were warned about this hack quite some time ago, according to the U.S. government, and didn't do a whole lot. And it's looking like it's a lot worse than what they originally thought it was going to be. Basically, what's happening here is cybersecurity experts are saying that as many as 30,000 organizations have been compromised. Oh, dear. And yeah. This would be, a, would be an absolutely amazing thing. And the estimate is that it has doubled over the past weekend now to 60,000 around the world. 
So wow. this software is used in a lot of different environments and has been for many, many years. And it's something that I know is usually pretty stable. So it's kind of a bummer that this has happened. But it's Okay, I have a something. scary question. Mm-hmm. Um, on uh, our new how things are set up in our Windows setups, um, there's a, you're, you're given a, like a Microsoft Word email address and password. Right. And it has something to do with your laptop or your computer. Is that part of the stuff that's been hacked? That's a good question. But no, that is your user account for Windows. And that is different from Exchange. Exchange would be something that would be running like on your business network. I mean, I'm sure Microsoft uses it for their email too, but uh, not (laughs) in that kind of an environment. But um, there is a fix for this. It's not something you're going to be able to do as simply as changing a password. But there is a patch that's out that's supposed to fix this problem. And it's definitely something that if you're a network administrator, you're going to want to deal with. If you're not, you're going to want to ask your network people to take care of it. Get the updates in there. According to Microsoft, this should fix the problem. Disney Plus passes the 100 million subscriber mark. Yeah, nine digits. Can you imagine? I mean, this is uh, was not expected. And no, it wasn't because I keep hearing all these rumors about people canceling because they were mad about something. So this is a big deal. Yeah, and I'm sure that type of thing happens with all of the streaming services. Netflix has certainly had their controversy too. But Disney Plus has been able to offer a lot of very unique things. And they've got some shows that are driving this, like Mandalorian, where mm-hmm. yeah. you have to uh, have a subscription to be able to watch it. But there's a and lot WandaVision. of WandaVision, yeah, and a number of others. There's a lot of good content out there, and they've got a lot of different things. I know I enjoy Disney Plus, and many, many people do. Some of the other things I like is Disney Plus also supports a lot of the current technologies like Dolby and some of these other things. So if you have an Atmos surround sound system, you can deal with it. It seems to work well with my surround lighting. So there's a lot of different things going on here and having good content, all the rest of that, I can understand. Well, they also, they also have like the National Geographic stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And that's really an important beautiful. thing. Disney Plus is actually a makeup of a number of different things. So you have Disney, you have Star Wars, you have Marvel, uh, as you say, the National Geographic. All these different things are part of it. And with one subscription, you get access to all of them. Doctors can 3D print bones directly into your body. You know, every time we get reports <laughs> like this, I think we're getting closer to having actual cybernetics. This Kinda. is an interesting uh, scenario. And to go into a lot of detail on this would require a doctor to be able to explain it. But the headline kind of gives away the 10,000-foot view of it, that uh, you can now print bones directly in your body using a 3D printer. Mm. And as to the actual procedure and all of that kind of thing, it's uh, certainly a, a 3D printer specifically for that purpose. And I would Yeah, have, it would have to have like a really flexible arm and... A really uh, fine nozzle. Uh, yeah, and yeah. then they'd have to like have the person, I'm assuming, cut open uh-huh. so that they could, you know... Add the stuff in. I'd be worried about stringing and ridges, but hey, yeah, know, they're well, they're, they're explaining. <laughs> I think that probably that's been handled, and uh, I would hope the way they're explaining this is, say, as a for example, a patient's in uh, that has a tumor that's taken out, and they have to take out part of the bone. They can scan the bone and then put that into the 3D printer, and then directly print within the cavity of the patient with their own cells being there a replacement bone. So I mean, that's cool. That's cool. I, something like yeah. that is just absolutely amazing to me when you start seeing these kind of technologies out there. But um, the idea of that, you know, d- does this become a standard the next five to 10 years? 
And if so, and it works well, it could really increase quality of life. Google has ended cookies. I don't know. I no like more cookies. snickerdoodles. <laughs> yeah. That's what that feels like, don't, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. You know, the so actual explain this. Press, re- press release on this says Google puts a lid on the cookie jar. Oh. Yes. <laughs> so for anyone that doesn't know, cookies are a small piece of software that runs in your browser, primarily used to track information. So there's a mm-hmm. couple of different things that these are used for. One would be if you log on to a website and come back to the website, utilizing cookies might be the way that it knows that you were there before. Where this has gotten a little bit of controversy is with the fact that tracking cookies are being used for advertising all across the board. So if mm-hmm. you go to a website and look something up, and then it feels like when you go to the next 10 websites, the ads are all for the thing you looked up, but they're different websites. Yeah. That's how yeah. they do that is with with cookies. Now, <laughs> third-party cookies have been a big thing with antitrust lately because Google has been saying that they want to remove them from their browser. And the concern here is that third-party operators could no longer have access to this information. And then it's Google locking more down on their advertising platform. And there's been some concern about that. So now the next step is that they're going to completely eliminate cookies. But from looking at the technology behind this, it is being replaced with a new method of being able to do the same thing, maybe even a little bit more secure. So we're not going to get rid of the focused advertising, unfortunately. But um, that is what this is about. And, you know, it's interesting because this year seems to be that we're seeing a switch from a lot of different technologies that we've used in the past, Flash went away a couple of months ago, now cookies, to mm-hmm. new things that are going into the next period. So the internet definitely evolves. It mm-hmm. is definitely something that you want to see, you know, technology being updated on, and you have to because of security and just things moving forward and that kind of stuff. But it is interesting when you see something that's a technology that's been used pretty much, I think cookies are somewhere around 80% of the web that that's actually wow. going to be swapped out now and replaced with something else. This <laughs> is User-Friendly 2.0. We've got a great show for you this week. We're going to be doing a special extended Q&A section. We also have our reporter, Steve Mailer, who's going to be joining us this week. And we're going to be talking about some of the work he does. We'll be back after the break. Welcome back. This is User-Friendly 2.0. We're going to go straight into our Q&A this week. We've got a special extended section for you because we've had a lot of questions. And, you know, it seems like that would make sense right now with everything that's going on and the world starting to change back. We're going to be up against a lot of new things or stuff that at least that we haven't dealt with in a while. And, you know, starting out is a, a question that comes from what we've all been doing the last year in many ways. And what is our first question? What is Zoom fatigue? So this is an actual thing. So, you know, and uh, when you think so about So it's not this, an outfit? It's not an outfit. Um, <laughs> no. I wish it was, but it's not. No. <laughs> Zoom is a piece of software that's used for conference calling, video calls. A lot of schools use it. There's a lot of different competitors out there. You can, It's kind of becoming a generic term to do a Zoom call means to do a video call. And whether you're on the Zoom system specifically or not, there is actually science coming out that this is creating a kind of fatigue that we hadn't dealt with before. Now, prior to COVID, a lot of us dealt with conference calls and video calls. That was a thing that was out there. It just wasn't used as much, and it certainly wasn't used all day in some cases. So now, since this has changed, 
They're saying that one difference is the fact that when you watch somebody on a video call, it's unnatural. So usually when you're in a room talking to people, you look at the person talking. Now you have everybody on the screen. So you're trying to watch the person speaking and also watch the other people to see how they're reacting at the same time and all of that kind of stuff. And there's a number of other things like that. We dig into the science in this. And in fact, I'm going to go ahead and throw an article up on our social media so that you can take a look at this and see some of the different causes and dig in a little deeper if you're interested in it of how to fix it. You know, uh, this brings up something else. I I tend to be like overly expressive. So I not only watch the other people, I watch myself because it's like, I hope I'm not doing something weird. Yeah. Yeah. And see, that is another <coughs> issue too, because you can see yourself as well, which you can't do in a normal conversation. And that's exactly. a very good point because then you're wondering, am I <laughs> looking okay? And you know, all of this kind of stuff. And I do that too. I've figured out you want to be looking at the camera. So it looks like you're looking at your audience, but the camera a lot of times is in a different spot than the screen is on your monitor. So that creates an issue. So yeah, I can see where this is becoming an issue. What is the difference between Zelle and Venmo? Listener question here. And these services are services that are offered by banks for the purpose of transferring your money. But there's a difference between the two. Venmo is a digital wallet. So it's something that's run by PayPal. You can add credit cards to it, that type of thing. Zelle is something that has to do with your bank so that you can transfer money between your accounts. And basically, banks wanted to come up with a standard way to do it. They came up with this. Uh, The bottom line of it is, is both seem to work well when they work. I know, Gretchen, you've run into some issues with Zelle. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, and I can't get it fixed, so I'm just up a creek. Yeah, and I think that might be an issue with the bank more than the software, but... uh, Again, new technologies, and you're bound to have some problems, but there is a difference between these two, and that's what it is. Will Apple release a replacement for the iMac Pro? We talk about this in detail on Tech Wednesday this week, and the iMac Pro is going away. Apple is saying that if you still want one, you need to order it in the next few weeks. It's limited to the 10-core version, and it's taking them about four weeks to fulfill it, and is only available while supplies last. Now, The idea here being that the new iMac is going to replace the functionality that the iMac Pro used, and they're saying that if you need something more powerful, there's the uh, Pro Tower. Of course, that starts at around $6,000. So it'll be interesting to see where this goes. But the newer computers do have newer video cards and other things that allow you to be able to do more. So I can see from one direction why this has been kind of just replaced. But the other part of it is it was a nice little all-in-one desktop that could do a lot of different things. And Apple right now is not announcing a replacement for it. I personally don't think they're going to have one. I think this is probably the end of the line for this particular machine, which is too bad, but it is what it is. And, you know, technology marches on. What is the highest number of pixels I can get on a camera? Okay, so megapixels on a camera, this was always a thing when you would buy it. And, you know, 10 megapixels, your cell phone might have had less, but then they started coming out with good cameras in the 20s. And I did a little bit of poking around on this to try to find out the answer to the question. And from what I can tell, the highest megapixel camera that's on the market right now is 151. Is that a professional, like a professional photographer's camera? It's a professional level SLR camera. That has all kinds of different things. But here's an interesting thing, too. I'm in the process of upgrading my cell phone to the new Samsung, and I believe the camera on that is 75 megapixels. Wow. And my concern with this is, yeah, you get a great picture, really sharp and all of that. 
But my goodness, how big is the file? I guess I'll find out, huh? Yeah. Mm-hmm. What is an e-title? Yeah, to our listeners in Nevada and other states that use this, this question has come in. This has to do with the DMV. Oh, okay. And I will use the state of Nevada to answer this because that's the one I'm familiar with. And what they stopped doing was issuing paper titles for your car. You can still get one, but now you have to pay extra for it. And they do everything with an e-title or an electronic title, which is valid. The only problem is, is I've run into it in other states where they don't accept that. Uh-huh. Uh, they want the paper <laughs> title. And I don't know, personally, and this is an opinion, totally admittedly, but I would like, I want to know I own my car and I want some way to prove it. Yeah, yeah I'm exactly. Not sure how you do that with an e-title, you know? Well, and mm. the thing is, is sometimes digital stuff can be faked. Yeah, it can yeah, be. There's always that. And when you're buying a car, are you sure that the other person has the right to sell it? I mean, there's a lot of questions that could come up with something like this. Yeah. So, you know, when I moved from Nevada out of state, I had to get my titles issued in paper so that I could re-register my cars. And at the end of the, and then here they just send you the, the paper title. Hmm. Do I need a dash cam? Another listener question. <laughs> in my opinion, I think these are a very good idea and you can get them fairly inexpensively. Uh, 30 or $40 for a basic one. I put a system in that has the front and the back. So there's a rear camera that uh, works as well. That one costs a little more money. And a lot of other companies are getting into the marketing square. Ring is coming out with a security camera for your car later this year. They haven't announced a release date yet, but it's something that's going to be coming up. So there's a lot of different things like that that you can do. I think it's a good idea. Just if something happens, you have the video evidence of it if you need it. It's helped me out a couple of times. I actually uh, almost got a ticket once and then didn't when we were able to look at the video and prove what happened hadn't happened. This is User Friendly 2.0. We'll be back after the break. Welcome back. This is User-Friendly 2.0. I don't know about you guys, but after a year of not being able to go do anything, I'm ready to go do something, like outside. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, one of the things we have is movie theaters are starting to reopen in a lot of different markets now, and it's becoming safer to do things. I think we're going to see a lot of special events this, this fall, if everything goes well, might be really busy. And mm-hmm. uh, there, things are. Be- I know we've got the Star Trek convention is actually planned to happen in Las Vegas in August. The McMinnville UFO Festival here in Oregon in September. A number of other things like that going on. There's an antique car show that Sherwood's doing. So hopefully it'll be safe to do so and we can start getting back to some of these events. However, in the last year, a lot of us have had to deal with entertainment at home. And along with that, we've been upgrading a lot of our tech to accommodate that. Now, they say that the coronavirus has pushed everything electronic forward about five years of where it would have normally been. So this is all of your <laughs> online ordering and that kind of st- stuff. And home equipment is no different. And I know I've been playing around with a little bit of this. And one of the first things that I upgraded on my home system was the sound system. So beforehand, most of us had you know, moved to a flat screen TV. We were starting to get into 4K, a lot of that kind of stuff. And the next step on this seemed like it was sound. Now, Jeremy Gretchen, do you guys use a sound bar? I wish. Yeah, we might no, have, we don't have one yet. We might have to fix that because it is really, to me, absolutely amazing. 
Now, sound bars are not a new technology. They've been around for a long time. Surround sound, you would see a number on it like 5.1 or 7.1, that kind of thing. And what that refers to is the number of surround sound speakers is the number before the dot, and the number of subwoofers is the number after the dot. So, And another thing about these speakers is they're usually smaller. They're not like these giant things that take up space. No. At, well, you know, and a lot of that is actually technology, but another part of that has to do with fashion. At one time, you wanted to see the stereo, and now it's kind of moved to where you don't want to see the stereo. So speakers are smaller. They've been able to make them smaller. They work really well, even though they're smaller. So mm-hmm. that type of a thing. Plus, if you have five speakers or more in your theater as opposed to two from a stand, you know, old-fashioned stereo system, you would want them to be smaller because that would take up not just a lot of space, but really a lot of space. And these systems are continuing to be upgraded. So original surround sound gave you the feeling of surround sound, as, as the name says. They work quite well, but now they're releasing new technologies. One of them is Dolby Atmos. And this is a system that I got that I really liked. And what it is is object-oriented sound. So it doesn't depend so much on the number of the speakers in the room. It's actually possible to use Atmos with just a sound bar without rear speakers and all of that. It does enhance it to have more. But what it does is it's able to digitally place a sound object, as they call it, into the perimeter of your room. So in other words, if it's behind you, it kind of beams the sound behind your head and you hear it coming from the back. If it's over, wow. it does the same type of thing. And at most speakers, one thing that you can really tell that's kind of cool about them is that they throw sound up instead of out. So a standard speaker would normally face out into the room, and an Atmos speaker is an L-shaped. So you have sound going up as well as sound going out. And mm. that type of an environment works well. Mine has a subwoofer, and low bass sounds like that. You can't The human ear can't really uh, determine where they come from. So you're able to place that anywhere in the room you want, which is kind of nice. And the system works really well. And then there's a lot of different offerings with this, different quality, that kind of thing. One of the things I like about mine is the rear channels are all wireless, so I don't have to run wires from the front to the back of the room. That's nice. Yeah. You need electrical power, but that's a little easier to come by usually. So that type of a thing is a lot of fun. And one of the other areas that I've been playing with, we've talked about this on the show in the past, is this whole idea of surround lighting. And (laughs) this is an interesting new technology. The system I use is made by Philips. And what it is, is there's a control system for it. So it started out as a smart lighting system called Hue. And you would be able to set up your light in your room, turn it on and off remotely from your phone, that type of thing. And they've taken the system and continued to improve it and have a number of new things for it. One of them is full color lighting that will go in your ceiling, retrofit can lights and other things. So all that kind of stuff. I still haven't been able to explain to most people why I need colored lighting in my kitchen, but I do, <laughs> believe me, and mm. uh, that type of a thing. And one of the new technologies that they're coming out with now that I'm working on getting, but they've been backordered, is gradient lighting to go behind your television. So we had ambient lighting that flashed and lit up with the color on the screen, but gradient lighting takes that a step further so that you actually get light in the parts of the light behind your television screen based on what's on the screen in front of it. So it's actually able to take the whole signal, process the entire screen, and be able to split it out and then change the colors accordingly and in real time. So that sounds like something kind of fun. But all these things can definitely add to your home entertainment experience. This is User-Friendly 2.0. We'll be back after the break.
Welcome back. This is User Friendly 2.0. Joining me now, Steve Mailer. Steve, welcome to the show. Thanks, Bill. It's always fun to be here. You know, it's a lot of fun with a lot of the different interviews you get and things you do, but it's fun to be able to just talk to you once in a while, too. Absolutely. And, you know, we've had some a number of listener questions come in about the different things you do and okay. from the different interviews and stuff. And I think what I'd like to start with here is just talking about your experiences doing interviews. I know this week, the fact that we're talking is because you had someone stand you up. More than one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. More than one. Yeah. it's. Yeah, I will say that um, everyone has a busy schedule. I mean, maybe not as busy as 2019 because of the pandemic, but it's, it, it's amazing to, to try to find, to carve out some time where you're, like, I'm available, but then the other person or persons aren't. And right. uh, so, yeah, it's been a bit, of, bit, of, bit of a tangle. I mean, I had a couple of set up this past weekend and they were all gung-ho. They were all, yes, yes, let's do it. And then when, when it came time to find them, they're either not responding to phone calls, not responding to texts. It's like they fell off the map and then the day just kind of flitted by and <clears throat> it was the next day with nothing in the can. So it does get frustrating sometimes, but it's, you know, it's just part of the nature of the beast. And uh, you just kind of have to go with the flow and go day to day and hopefully something will work out. It doesn't always, obviously. Yeah. You know, and I think that's just part of it. And I know that, uh, you know, with all of this stuff, we're doing all of our recording and shoots and different things like that through the internet now, mainly because of the pandemic. And they're saying for also that reason that technology has been pushed forward about five years from where we would have been had COVID not happened. Mm -hmm. And what have you seen? And you've been working in video and audio production for a long time. How has the migration of technology and your experience been with it? Well, I mean, as a, in a general sense, what, what I find uh, in particular thinking about the pandemic is that it's amazing to see how just the nature of the industry has changed. I mean, you not being able, and, and you can speak to this directly because of some of the projects you're involved in, you can't go to sets. You can't. Right. It's harder to congregate. And when you're talking about um, even a smaller, medium-sized crew, you know, you're talking uh, maybe a dozen, dozen and a half people kind of on, as a norm. So when you right. can't get together, it's like, okay, well, how, how are we going to do this? So some of the, some of the trends that I've seen, and, and, and it's really easy to see most talk shows, sports shows, they've all gone the way of doing things through desktop video, like through Zoom, you know, video conferencing. That has become a very strong thrust in terms of how productions are done these days. And that's a huge paradigm shift when you're, when you're used to being with people on a set with lighting and cameras and microphones and everything. All of a sudden, your, your studio and your set is a computer screen. Right. So that's right. been huge. <laughs> um, yeah. And uh, and I know that I think some of the things that we've tried to do in terms of like podcasts, like we want to we want to do more podcasts together as a group, and yet those podcasts are taking the form of a computer screen where you have you know six seven people in small not quadrants, but um, they're just on small portions of the screen, and it just becomes kind of a talking head conversation. Right. Right. I mean, 
You know, a little earlier in the uh, show today, we were talking about something called Zoom fatigue. And it seems like that does apply here too, because you're dealing with a lot of different uh, yeah. variables that you wouldn't you wouldn't normally have. And I know from my own standpoint, uh, there's a show I'm working on that I've been the technology expert for for about three years now called Smart Money, and they're absolutely wonderful mm. people. And we always have shot down in a studio uh, here in Oregon. In the last uh, this last week, we shot our next set of episodes, and that was for my first time done online. Mm-hmm. And the crew, it was interesting because it's still our same crew in the studio and all of that, but they're taking it and they actually have software that's specifically designed for this now and everything like that to be able to have the different parts of the show and being able to shoot remotely. And I'm thinking at the beginning of this, boy, this is going to really be a challenge. Mm-hmm. And by the end of it, it's this isn't so bad, but I'll tell you one thing. I still miss the in-person pieces. Oh my God. Yeah. You know, I miss seeing my friends, frankly, and all the people, once you get to working with a crew for a while, it's almost like your family. I was just about to say the same thing. You know, and it really is 90% of the family is great. And then you've got the 10% that are weird. And I think that (laughs) would definitely describe a crew, Um, (laughs) you know? (laughs) Yes, it does. But um, so what kind of tech now recording online, are you still at 1080 high definition? Do you try Mm -hmm. to do 4k? Well, none of my cameras at, at present will shoot in 4K, and I've been kind of dabbling with the idea of m- migrating to a higher-end camera, and then something, whatever, what tends to stop me in that kind of thinking and that kind of, I guess, progression is that as soon as I get that 4K camera, there's going to be an 8K camera or yeah. something that's higher that I thought, oh, man, if I just waited a little longer... I could have had, you know, an 8K camera that costs maybe a little bit more, but is so much more expansive in terms of its capabilities and in terms of what you can do with it. So that's, um, I mean, video technology has always been that way. As soon as you buy it and as soon as you've eventually paid it off, it's already obsolete. So that's a hard thing to deal with, especially when you're talking about technology that changes so so dramatically and so quickly it's it, you can't keep up with it you just can't yeah and that's the truth to all these things and you know i i look at it from a standpoint too there's another project i'm working on which is a much bigger one and i have an nda with it that's bigger than the purchase agreement for my house so i don't dare <laughs> say too many details but i can say that um the equipment has been amazing and mm-hmm. a, a lot of robotic cameras which yes. was a new experience for me uh, 8K and above. Mm-hmm. So television seems to shoot at 8K. They're actually going higher, 120 frame per second. Yes. I mean, just stuff that is absolutely phenomenal. And yeah. I can, you know, my biggest thing, and we were talking about this a little earlier in the show with uh, high megapixel cameras, mm-hmm. but it's the same idea. How big is the file for 30 minutes of video at 8K and 120 frames a second? I mean, you, you got to think that's just amazing. Well, I guess what 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 I keep grappling with is when do you stop? I yeah. mean, there's going to be a point at which our eyes won't see a difference. I and mean, I know I one, of think- the, one of the things that they're going into the future with on this is the idea of additional technologies, and they're going to need it to get people back in the theaters. Mm-hmm. And one of them is this idea of true virtual reality, 360. We have some really good representations of that with the different headsets that are out now, mm-hmm. but you'll be able to get a movie and watch it on that, and you'll be in the environment that oh, uh, you would need, shot in. Yeah, you would and need you the would data need, for that. You would need all yeah. the data you could possibly get for that. 
Yeah. Okay, exactly. that makes sense. That makes total sense. So you're so as soon as we leave the the two dimensional uh, adventure or two dimensional movie watching experience, you are going to need that extra data. Okay, that makes sense. I, I get that. Yep, totally true. Well, Steve, thank you, Steve Mailer. Send us your questions for him at One User Friendly on Facebook and Twitter. This is User Friendly 2.0. We'll be back after the break. Welcome back. Great show this week. So, Jeremy, we've been talking a little bit before we were recording on a new online funding thing you're doing for some D&D <laughs> thing. So I, can you give a little better explanation of what I just gave? Okay, yes. Um, <laughs> Kickstarter, Kickstarter is, a, is a, a hub for anything. Like if you want to get a project done, but you need financial backing and you don't mind giving people perks when they donate, you can set up anything you want. Right. Um, that's how we bought our, our um, lightsabers. The we, have, lights. we have Kyber lights from that was from um, Kickstarter. I, I've gotten some dice from Kickstarter, and I've I've been watching this for like months now. These are electronic dice. They're not they're not like only for playing games online. These are physical dice with LEDs in them that you can control with an app on your phone. And it's a whole set of uh, all the D and D sided and ten and eights and fours, and it's just amazing. Charge them in the little case, like earphones, and you can control how they light up. They look pretty. I'm wa- I'm watching them on the screen there, and I was like, wow. So now this like is disco. This is how popular this thing is. They launched um, yesterday, which would be the ninth of March. Okay, so actually last and- Tuesday. Yes, they've actually got 28 days to go left on this campaign. They have 12,000 backers, and they're over a million, $1 million for their campaign. Oh, my goodness. That's cool. I mean, it, it's cool. already funded. They don't need to continue, but they will because they're going to unlock more features. And, I mean, these are just shiny dice, and, you know, they come in little cases that charge them, and you can – you know, keep track of what your roles have been with the app and stuff. It's just amazing dice. Hmm. Oh, this sounds really cool. I, I'm, I'm going to have to jump on and check those out. Yeah, yeah they you know, look really neat. Stuff like that. Somebody had a good idea, and I'm glad to hear they're being successful. So uh, when we get ours, we'll talk about them here on the show and mm-hmm. uh, definitely see how those will work. It'd be fun to actually roll dice again, too, you know? Oh, yes. Yeah, I would really like to just have everybody over at and and sit at a table and just shoot the breeze, have snacks. It just it would just be so nice to see everybody's face. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. CDC is saying that fully vaccinated people can meet without masks and some other things now and check out their website for the details on that. But, you know, the reality is we do seem to be going in the right direction here, at least, and uh, which is a good thing. And along those lines, we actually are starting to have upcoming events on our schedule again. It's been actually a year before since we've been able to do this, <laughs> which is amazing to me. So. Uh, we'll see if things are safe, you know, and all of this is subject to that caveat. But on the schedule, we've got the Star Trek convention in Las Vegas, August 11th to the 15th, the McMinnville UFO Festival, September 23rd to 25th, and the Emerald City Comic Con, December 2nd to 5th. And as we get more events back out here, we'll talk about them. And again, you know, everything's subject to change. Check it out. But like you, I'm ready to really go out and do something. 
Until next week, this is User-Friendly 2.0, keeping you safe on the cutting edge. User-Friendly 2.0, copyright 2014 to 2021, User-Friendly Media Group, Inc. The views and opinions expressed on this show are those of the host and not necessarily User-Friendly Media Group, Inc. or this station. Music licensing by BMI. Hosting provided by WeAreTechnology.com. Podcast available at UserFriendlyNation.com, TheAnswerPortland.com, or anywhere you listen to podcasts.